Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I preview Thursday night's NBA Draft. Going over the strengths, weaknesses, and fit for a bunch of the players who could be available when the Sixers select at 23. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody, this is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing great. It's draft week, buddy. It's it time is draft to, uh... week. We have put this podcast off a little bit, um, in part, most mostly because we wanted to do our research. Um, you know, I guess we should probably get the disclaimers out of the way. Rich and I used to dive pretty heavy into draft coverage way back in the day. Uh, I used to, I pretty much got my start in basketball writing for Draft Express. Uh, that used to be, I would almost classify that as my full-time job. If there is a spectrum between Spike Eskin and his YouTube big board, and Mike Schmitz, my former, and, and by the way, I don't think I mentioned this on pet on the pod, but congrats to Mike Schmitz, my former colleague at Draft Express, who is now an assistant GM with the Blazers. But there is yeah, a spectrum awesome. between Spike Eskin and Mike Schmitz. I'm trending a little closer to Spike than I feel I'm, comfortable. So I'm wanted- way too I'm way too close to that. I, I don't think I'm that far off. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> look, it's I, I don't know. Like we we care about the actual team now, and yeah. that's. That's part of it. And, and you know, I don't like, look, get a paycheck to cover the draft anymore. That's part of it. No. Uh, so anyway, my point is, I think it's very important because part of the things that used to drive me insane when I used to cover the draft on a full-time basis is, you know, the helicopter draft analysts who would swoop in yep. at the last minute, pretend that they knew what they were talking about and just spout takes. So look, while we did our research, it's not as well-formed. I guess the way I would phrase this is these are a little bit more first impressions than they are fully scouted prospects from our perspective. But I'm not watching as many full thoughts. games as I used to. Yeah, you know, correct, I'm not. Correct. I'm watching some some synergy clips. I'm reading as much as possible. And uh, look, I think it, it'll be good if the Sixers make the pick. Then we can dig deep into the one or two, however many players that they have on the team. And by the way, I, I also don't want to say that it's unimportant now that the Sixers are no, are picking later 100%. in the draft. It is less important than when it was a top five pick. But honestly, to, you know, and you wrote about this, I would say three years ago, you were, I think you were the first person to be like, look, now that you got Embiid being expensive back when Ben Simmons was finally getting expensive, the way to sustain, you know, a very competitive team over time is you got to hit on some of these late picks. You got to exceed your draft slot. And, you know, the Sixers have done, I think, pretty well over that time. I think with Tyrese Maxey, you know, it's, I think that is an outsized hit to the yeah. point where, yep. you know, you're not going to do that every year. But uh, I, I think even with Thibel, who has struggled over the past couple of years as well, you have Shake Milton as a second-round pick. They, they've done some pretty good things, I B-ball would say. Paul. The- can't, can't go a podcast without yep. mentioning B-Ball Paul. Yep. Yep. So, And certainly I, uh, they've had some mistakes. Uh, oh, yeah. we, can go, we can go back. A lot, a lot of the Colangelo era, uh, we can go back to. Uh, but recent his and look, I know a lot of people might be down on Shake Milton. By the way, a report out there from our old colleague, Jake Fisher, that um, he will get his option picked up, which seemed like a no-brainer. It was sub $2 million, right around $2 million team option. I know a lot of people might be frustrated with him at times, certainly frustrated with Matisse. 
for where they're selected, Shake Milton was a pick in the 50s. Uh, you don't expect anything out of that. So he's not perfect, no, but getting a contributor there is, um, is a win. And Matisse Leibel is... Look, we can all question Matisse Leibel. He's an NBA player in the 20s. Combine that with Shake Milton, or um, Tyrese Max, who's a huge home run. I agree, they've done pretty well here. They will have to do well again if they keep the pick, which is an if that we will get out of the way. But um, yeah, so let's just get right into it. And I say get right into it after we just spent four minutes sort of like with one big disclaimer that we might not be as prepared as we used to be. Is there anyone sort of, I guess we'll start this off a little more theoretical. If you're the Sixers and you do keep the pick, what kind of a prospect are you looking for? So what what type of prospect I'm looking for and they're looking for might be two different might things. Might be, might be. I, I am looking at it, and, and again, this is limiting. So I, I don't, you know, w- without the complete scouting, I, I think there is is room for them to argue for another player. And frankly, like, let's look back at their past couple of years first before we even predict it, right? They take Maxi a couple of years ago. That's what they needed at that point. Like, they needed another another ball handling guard. And he was a well thought of prospect. I think me and you were both pretty excited about that pick. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but pretty excited about that one. So that was cool. I think last year is really interesting though. There where they get kind of stuck in that. What was it? The 28th pick. I believe it was, it was towards the end. They were shopping that pick heading into the week, uh, which gets into the, the theory of should they take, uh, should they try and move the pick at, at all costs? Should they just take the pick if that's what the return is going to be? Uh, they end up taking Jaden Springer, who, you know, I, I think as a defensive guard, I, I wouldn't say that's the the number one thing they needed at that point. I think they, I, I thought they definitely needed some defense and some three and D capabilities. But what was most interesting to me is they took a swing with basically like a Zaire Smith type timeline, just because yeah. of, I'm not saying he was, he, he's raw for sure. Offensively, he was not as raw as Zaire, but he's just so young. Right. And they took a guy who as coming off being the number one seed in the Easter conference and coming into a year where I think they knew probably at that point, like, man, what the hell is going to happen with Ben Simmons? You know, we, do we need a contributor for this season? They said, Nope, we believe this guy is the best player available. We like his tools. And basically, you know, they're punting on, they definitely punted on last year because he was, there was no way he was going to help him last year. I'm very curious to see what he looks like in summer league. I would say like heading into the year though, we touched on this last, uh, last week, anything you get from him this season is a bonus. Yeah. I I don't view him as, I would say even probable to get a rotation spot. Let's see what he looks like in summer league first, I guess. Uh, but I just thought that was like such an interesting pick. It was so patient and it might not work out, but it does go to show that they are not exactly focused on one archetype. Would, would you say that's fair? I would say that's fair. I think there's probably more options here to get a contributor early on in their career than there were last year at 28. But I, I agree. I agree. They're not completely locked in. Okay. So, so, and, and I, I think you're right. When you look at a lot of the players that are projected to go here, there are some older kind of wing type players. And that that is where I would look at first, because to me, like the key here is to not hit the Tyrese Maxey home run. I don't think you need to do that. I think you need to find a rotation player that sticks. And by the way, like a lot of people will just say that to, to dumb it down and say that that's like an easy thing to find. No, no it's not. It's not yeah. an easy thing to find. No. But I, I think you, you have to be a little more realistic on, okay, this guy is not, probably not going to be a shot creator. And and I would tend to go away from the shot creation a little bit, just because now you have James Harden, Joel Embiid, and Tyrese Maxey on the team. It's weird where, you know, probably three, four years ago, you were saying like with Simmons here, Embiid was not the type of guy he is now. It's like a lot of people want these three and D players, you know, the Mikhail Bridges types. But maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander was the right pick at that time. Even obviously, it turned out to be the right pick. But the, you know, the idea of adding that level of shot creation. So that that would be where I would default to start. Like, can you find a bigger three and D type wing player that can slide in right away? Maybe that that would be what I would be swinging for. But I also understand getting a guy to play in the playoffs right away, yep. even if he's like a three or four year guy. That's hard. Yep. And like, I think the difference between the first and second year on that is a huge deal yep. too. Yeah. So, uh, so I, 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 I was all over the place there, but basically I, I would place. look, 
basically I would look for a, a bigger three and D type wing. That, that would be to me the easiest fit with this group. So I think there are two sort of archetypes that I would just pretty much cross off the list. If you're a center who can't play power forward, you're done. Doc's not playing three young centers in his backup rotation. Like there's no need for a center who cannot play alongside of Embiid. No, no need, especially for a young center. We're not talking about Andre Drummond, who might be able to come in and give some veteran minutes throughout the season. We're talking about adding another young center. You have to be able to play next to Joel Embiid. The other is a point guard who can't defend alongside Tyrese Maxey, which means you need a little bit of defensive versatility at that spot. Those are the two sort of archetypes that I would cross off the list. I'm not completely against a long-term project if I think you brought up Shea. I think Shea is a great example because at that point we thought they have their point guard. You have Ben Simmons. You don't need another point guard who's going to share responsibilities. He ends up blowing up. If there's a player I think is going to blow up, I have interest, even if he's not a, a year one or year two contributor, because when you start looking further down the line, you say, all right, you've got Tyrese Maxey, who's a guard who can create off the dribble. He's not the most instinctive passer in the world. It's not the easiest thing to grow. You could use a big guard who can play both on and off ball and share some shot creation responsibilities alongside Maxi. When Harden ages out of his lead guard status, you still need that, even if it's not a, year, a day one contributor. I, if I have confidence, now you're, you're drafting 23rd, you're probably not going to have a ton of confidence into somebody growing into that because that's unlikely to happen at this stage of the draft. But if I have somebody who I have pegged as that, I'm not crossing that off the list. But I agree with you, if you can get a 3 and D guy, first of all, it's usually the easiest to project. Not always, because I, I feel like we tend to overstate both the three and the D likelihood of those three and yeah. D prospects. But I feel like that's an easier projection than a shot creator at the very least. And I think there are a couple of candidates here. So I guess we'll start off. Uh, first of all, I guess you have a, a, a player of that archetype that jumps out to you. Yeah, and, and, and really, it, it's mostly because he is the guy who has been mocked kind of around them. And that's EJ Liddell from Ohio state, because look, I, I think some of the guys ahead, like, like Ocha, uh, is it Oche Abaji? I can't, man, I can't even come close to saying that. Uh, it's bad too. Cause I watched them play a lot because yeah. they won the national cool. championship too. Yeah. Yep. Um, even Liddell's teammate, Malachi Branham, who is a little bit more of a, a scoring guard can do a little bit more. He's a little more fluid off the dribble, smaller type player. Sure. Uh, I feel like I see those guys being mocked a little bit ahead and, and it feels like Liddell is being mocked uh, in that range. So, so he's the one who kind of stands out as, you know, like, can he be Grant Williams in the pros? And that's, uh, that's my question, you know, big body. Uh, he shot it well at Ohio state. Uh, I know there are some questions like Vicini has had some questions about how the ball comes out of his hand. Is that, is that shooting touch real? Uh, so he's kind of the first guy who jumps out to me. Yeah, um, and I I have relative confidence in that shot. You know, he's improved that quite a bit. Um, you're talking about a you know six seven forwardish guy. Um, he averaged what nineteen point four seven point nine two point five assists. Shot yeah, where's my three point thirty seven point four percent from three point range there as a junior. I have relative confidence in that shot. I have relative confidence in him as a prospect. If there's one safe prospect in this range, I think he's a pretty safe prospect to become a role player. You're a real good defender, gives good, good consistent effort, can make the pass occasionally at times. He's never going to be a, he, he was relied upon way too much at Ohio State. He's never going to yeah. play that role in the pros. Uh, and I think at times that got him, he had tunnel vision a little bit because he was asked to do so much. But I think he projects as a pretty good decision maker. Um, even if not a sort of like lead, you're not going to run your offense through him. Um, but I think as a, you know, catch and shoot guy can attack a closeout, can attack a mismatch and make decent decisions with the ball. I think he projects fairly easily into that. And you combine that with his combination of rim protection. You know, he averaged what I think two point something blocks per game. Um, pretty good rim protector, despite being only six, seven, uh, can move his feet a little bit on the perimeter. Uh, I think he projects as a reasonable, good, you know, role playing Big forward. Um, I think he is certainly towards the top of the ready-to-contribute list, both because of his age and because of his game. Not a great team defense at Ohio State, which is one of the questions yep. for him this year. But you mentioned being able to make those sort of you know quick passes that Grant Williams attack a closeout. And honestly, you know Grant Williams did not play as well as the uh, as the finals went on. But when he was going good, you know it's like Jason Tatum gets doubled. Grant Williams is the outlet because yep. he's the guy who's getting doubled off. He can make that quick pass to, 
you know, Robert Williams for the alley-oop or whatever. Yeah. And, and EJ Liddell, it seems like he did hold the ball a little bit too much at Ohio State. There were some questionable decisions. But like you said, that's a product of how he was used. Yeah. Like he was he was being the given the keys to the offense. And that's one of the things that like when the Sixers evaluate, it's like, all right, well, can he just shift his role down? Yeah. And can those those bad habits just pretty much go away instantly when you're being, you know, when you're asking him to do a lot less? And honestly, it seems like, you know, just from what I've watched, like really um Really well-spoken kid, like seems like a great teammate, that type of guy too, as well. So, yeah, seems like uh, seems like he's got a chance to be in that range, and I, that's somebody I would be interested in. But there, yeah. look, there are other guys too. And look, uh, again, I think at times over dribbled. Um, but if you limit him to you know one to two dribbles to attack closeout, one to two dribbles when he's got a face up, he can exploit. Um, he's certainly not going to post up nearly as much as he did at Ohio State. But I think he slides down in a role pretty easily. Uh, and yeah, I think he's definitely on the radar. Um, I think, and especially if you're talking about a guy who can contribute pretty early, I think he's towards the top of the list of players who can contribute, uh, change roles uh, and contribute pretty early in their career. Um, I guess let's, let's go ahead back to that name that you have no chance of, of pronouncing. Um, Abahi <laughs> from Kansas. Do you think he projects as a pretty early contributor in his NBA career? Yeah. And, and the thing you just remembered at, uh, at Kansas, I mean, they used him, it felt like a lot kind of off the ball yeah. and kind of in, in secondary actions where, you know, he's, he's a fun player who can, I, I think has some sort of versatility on the, uh, on the offensive end. I also just, I like the fact we make too much of the NCAA tournament, but that guy's been like a high level college player for three or four years yep. or for three years now playing on a, uh, a team that, you know, went deep in the NCAA tournament. They won. Um, yeah. So I think he definitely has a chance to be a, uh, a contributor right away. Um, I, I definitely don't think he has like, you know, like first option type of. Oh no, definitely not. I, I'm not sure. Yep. I'm not sure he's going to be able to create he's quite your, as much. Your pretty prototypical threes and that rims kind of guy. Um, you know, his three point percentage has gone up every year from like 31 to 33 to 37 to 40. It's gone up like clockwork. Uh, he shot. Where are we? Uh, 40.7 percent from three on pretty good volume here as a senior. Other than that, he is attacking closeouts. He's getting out in transition. He's cutting off ball. All great stuff that you would want in a role player of that ilk. Certainly not a guy you're going to give the ball to and ask him to create one-on-one off the dribble. Uh, he's never really been that player. You don't expect him to be that at the next level. Um, not a real good decision maker, if I'm being honest, as a passer, uh, which you would love to see. Again, not that he's going to do much of that here in the pros. I think my biggest concern, besides just the overall lack of one-on-one creation and, quite frankly, decision making, I'm not sure the defense is truly like a th- I'm not sure he truly qualifies as a three and D. I think it's more like a theoretical defense. He reminds yeah. me, I won't say his game reminds me, but sort of like who's that guy with Atlanta for a couple years? Terrain Prince. Everybody looked at him, looked at his body, looked at his legs, <laughs> and said, Oh, that's a three and D prospect. He played no defense whatsoever. I don't want to say that he plays no defense, but from what I did see, and again, these are more first impressions, it seemed a little bit inconsistent and a little more theoretical defensively. Then, because look, if you're not going to really dribble, create much off the dribble, if you're going to be limited as a decision maker on offense, you better be, the defense better be legit. I'm not saying it's not legit. I'm just not 100% convinced that it is something you can rely on day in and day out. Certainly not at a stopper level. He's not as big as Target Prince either. Too. No, That's no, no. I'll, he, I was just this. using him as an example of like, you look at him and think he should be a three and D. Yeah. And he's a strong kid. He is, yeah. And he's not actually a good defender. Yeah. Good athlete, strong kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we will, uh, we'll see. But I mean, I, I do like his, you know, the ability to make threes. That's important with this crew and, and to do it in <laughs> yes, it is. multiple ways. That's, you know, that's certainly, I, I don't think he's going to fall to their, uh, to their number, but you know what? I said the same thing about Maxi a couple of years ago. He was kind of the guy we, we talked about as like, yeah, somebody's going to scoop this kid up and he, you know, he just kept dropping. So we'll see. All right, let's go to a, a slightly different archetype here. Um, let's go to some of the toolsy wings. I'm thinking of Blake Wesley, Bryce McGowns, I guess, Jaden Hardy, Marjan, Bochamp, anyone in that group stand out. There's another one. Do you, do you think he's going to drop Tari Eason? Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure if he's going to drop, but I, he's certainly in that group. I would, I guess, classify him more as like a big forward than a wing. Um, I think he can probably yeah, grow okay. into that. He certainly played a lot of center at LSU, um, but I think he can grow into a, like 
Sometimes you're put at a at center because you can't defend on the perimeter. I don't think that's at all all the case with him. I think he can grow into a perimeter defender. But I guess I sort of just looked at him more as like a three four than a true wing. Yeah, and you know who's one that I, I feel like I've we, seen. We should talk of, about him though too, for sure. For sure. The guy of that group that I feel like I see mocked towards the Sixers a lot is uh, is Jalen Williams from yeah. uh, from Santa Clara. And the only yeah, reason I, mean, I didn't include him is because he's you know he's not necessarily toolsy like he's productive. Yeah, and it it seems like uh, you know in the combine and kind of recently is he's he's been like a riser over the yep. past couple of uh, of months. People are are pretty intrigued by that guy's ability well, to play make. He is one of my favorite prospects in this range. Um, in terms of you know, and you're talking about a guy there in Williams six six twenty one. He didn't really start, like pop um, in terms of production until his past year, and his his shot specifically didn't pop until his past year. Um, I think he shot twenty seven percent from three his previous year. Uh, shot nearly 40% this past year. And that's, that's huge in his projection. He doesn't necessarily pop as a like lateral athlete or his burst. Um, in fact, he kind of reminds me a little bit of shake Milton with the ball in his hands, uh, better oh, no. scoring instincts for sure. And a much better vertical athlete, I think than Williams or than Milton. Um, but in terms of like burst off the dribble, not a super quick first step. And I think that's one of the big concerns of whether or not he will translate, but I think his scoring instincts, I think he's a heck of a passer. To the point where maybe even some of the and he put up pretty good assist numbers. I forget exactly what it was, but I think he's probably a better passer than even those assist numbers showed. Uh, I think he has a real knack for getting into the paint, uh, scoring in a multitude of ways, good shot diversity, um, and I think he he uses that to set up his teammates very 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 well. Um, I, I like him quite a bit actually. The only real question, I guess, there's two. You know, th- the perimeter shot didn't really pop until his junior year, and those late shooters can leave you a little bit concerned. I believe in the shot, though. I think he's going to make shots. The only question I have is whether or not he's going to get in the paint as consistently as he he did at Santa Clara, both because of the competition and because of he's just not super quick with the ball in his hands. But he is very shifty. He has a lot of moves. He's really good at changing direction and changing speeds. I like him a lot, actually. Um, he is towards the top of my list, even acknowledging the concerns and even acknowledging that's not really the archetype that they need. Um, they don't necessarily need another... Um, sort of like combo guard who you know has a ball in his hands a lot and has a little bit of a questionable shot, even though I do believe in it. But I do have a lot of interest in him. I just think that the talent and the instincts are there. Yeah, you know, six six with a, a seven two wingspan too, so he could he can guard up probably yep. a little bit if he if he hits and bigger yeah, wingspan I mean, he, than Shake. Shake had a big wingspan, but not seven two. I think it was like six eleven seven foot. I think the key yeah. difference. Uh, I, I, uh, I know hearing Shake Milton isn't what you want to hear. He had a much better vertical than Shake. Like he's more explosive around the room, which I think is pretty big. I think he had like a 39 inch vertical at the combine, which again, I have a little bit of questions of him getting into the paint off the dribble just because he doesn't have that burst. But once he's there, I have more confidence. He's going to do something with it than I do with Shake. And he's a way better pass from Shake way better. Yeah. It, it, it all comes down to the shot, honestly, for him. Like, like you said, pretty, pretty wild swings you know he was a 27 percent shooter last year and the like you have termed it the, the back of the baseball card says 35 percent right now but what does that mean you know it's been it's been up and down but yeah i mean from from what i had seen on the um on the video that from him is that just he he scored in a lot of different ways yeah. and sometimes that's uh it's a little tougher because he is playing in he's playing an okay conference he's not playing in a you know he gets to play gonzaga twice a year but not the not the highest level, not not the Big Ten by any no, means, like no. like Liddell. But yeah, his his passing is what intrigues me the most, honestly. And like you said, you know, if you can get a a taller guard who can maybe defend up, you know, where Maxi can guard the point guards and also do a little bit of the playmaking, yep. um, that's something that that would be pretty interesting. So yeah, he's he's certainly someone I'm interested in, and just in part because it seems like he's getting mocked right around where the Sixers are going to pick anyway. Yeah, no, I I. I... I like him quite a bit. Like I said, I think, I think the overall, overall package I think is is pretty intriguing. Um, minor concerns, but then again, if you didn't have minor concerns about maybe his burst or what have you, um, and I think I think he's actually got pretty decent defense finishing too. But if you didn't have minor concerns about something like his burst, he wouldn't be potentially dropping to twenty three. So, so let me ask you, because because he's a three year guy. It seems like a few of the players that you mentioned in the in the three and D category where. Um, you know, and I'm going to maybe put in some power forwards in here too. Like you said, Jaden Hart, you yep. said McGowan's, yep. you said, 
Um, maybe I'll add like Patrick Baldwin in there and, and Caleb Houston. Some of these guys were like high profile high school recruits that had disappointing ish seasons. I would say, um, and McGowan's had a, had a very good season for Nebraska. Does the age matter here? Like this, you know, because we, we have basically talked about older players, right? Yeah. Those first three guys are older. Maybe they can contribute right away. What about the guys who maybe they, maybe they project as role players, but they're 19 years old and it's like, yeah, can they contribute right away? Yeah. And some of those guys like Wesley and McGowan's, I don't think they're day one contributors in part because their frames aren't really filled out. To, to That's play right. The Wesley's defense. a young guy too. Um, and in part because their shooting numbers are not there. And there's a couple of them. Like I have a little bit more confidence in McGowan's shot than I do Wesley's, but it's not like I have a lot of confidence. It's just a little more confidence. I think both of them, uh, specifically, I'm going to talk about them because they've been mocked near the Sixers a lot. Um, both of them, I think, need work on their defense. They need work on their body. They need work on their shot. And when you start getting a couple of years down the line, if they can put all of that together, they do show some traits that could be a pretty well-rounded player. But I don't think it's going to show up in the early stages of their career. Um, and I think there's enough uncertainty in that projection where I have... And I... I they're, they're both very flawed. But no, like th- that kind of archetype, I think, is one that I'm pretty out on for the Sixers, to be honest. I, I think both of them have reasons to have interest, but I don't think the Sixers should have the most interest in that range. Uh, let me ask you about the other guy I, I mentioned. Oh, what, what, what do you think about Hardy, who I thought was, when I saw him in high school, I was like, this kid is like yeah, going to be a top 10 pick easily. He reminded me of Bradley Beal, just like effortless three-point bombing off the ball. And he, he goes to Ignite and... Awful it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Twenty seven percent from beyond I, the arc. I will say, of all of them, they're pro- he's probably the one I've watched the least, and the stats were so bad that I <laughs> probably don't want to go too much off of them because they were a train wreck statistically. And he is playing against tougher competition than pretty much anyone else on this list. I have a lot of concerns though about him. Um, that, that guy is not going to contribute right away. I'll tell you that. No, he's not. And look, there's like, I like the aggressiveness. I like the ball handling. He he finishes at the rim better than a bunch of these guys. Like Blake Wesley was one of the worst at rim finishers I've seen in quite a while, which negates, like, I I like a lot of Blake Wesley because I think he has a little more passing than some of these guys. Um, he can, I think he gets into the paint pretty well, but if you can't finish at the rim, you have no touch, no body control. There's only so much you can really create for yourself or others. I think Hardy has that kind of craft at the rim. Uh, I think he can create some space. I think I trust his shot a little more than the, what do you shoot? Like 25, 26% from three. Yeah. Yeah. 26, but it, I th- it was only on like 80 attempts. It was though, on so unlimited I mean, attempts. It was against, it was on the farther three point line. It was against tougher competition. I think he has the makings of someone who can shoot both off the catch a little bit and off the, you know, off the screen a little bit. Like I think he can navigate a pick and roll and I think he can get better at doing that. I think he's a pretty bad defender right now. I don't think he has yeah. necessarily real good in- instincts or, um, it's not huge either. He's too, not huge. So. His technique isn't great. And combining the shooting concerns with the shot selection concerns with the defensive concerns, I think, I think I'm probably pretty out on him for the Sixers. I certainly think, First two or three years, um, I th- I think first of all I think he's gonna need playing time to get better, and I don't think the Sixers will give him playing time because I think he's gonna be pretty far away. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobultra.com/courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, but but to me in that range, he, I still think when when you look at his high school and his, oh, his talent, reputation, sure. there's sure. a lot of talent there, and I think there's a lot of talent in a somewhat similar role to like Tyrese Maxey is just one of these microwave smaller yeah. scorers. Probably does it a little bit differently, not not as explosive as Maxey, you know, going yeah. in the rim, all that stuff. Uh, it's funny he has a teammate, Marjan Bochamp, who is more of a uh, he's more of a dirty work guy, yeah. I would say. Like yep. he's a really good off ball cutter. Also an awful three-point shooter and, you know, not sure that's going to turn around, but no, it, he's, he's an interesting one in that he might not be ready to play right away. You know, he's 19 years old as well, but he projects like if you're trying to go with the safer yeah. uh, role-playing defense, rebounding, smart play, like he kind of fits that archetype better than uh He's than Hardy, also the type sure. where though, like when you're talking about things that he has to improve upon. It's really just a shot. If he gets that shot, he has the makings of a role player. And not just mm-hmm. like a, like, you know, he, he can do some stuff offensively. He's never going to be a, a primary creator. But if he gets those closeouts, I think he's a good enough secondary creator where he can make some drives. He can make some passes. I trust his defense a lot more than a lot of people in this range. I think it's a pretty decent first step. He's good athletically. Like He's a committed cutter. He's a committed defender. Like, I think, and look, this jump shot might be bad enough where none of that matters. And that's why he, you know, you might have a chance to get him here in the twenties and what might not be a very great draft. Um, but I think that's really the only thing you have to fix for him to be a, a role player in this league. Um, which when you're talking about making projections at this stage of the draft, I have much more interest in him than even some of these higher upside guys, even acknowledging the fact that that jumper is potentially a complete fatal flaw. Like if you're talking about swing skill, uh, the rich Hoffman swing skill, like that is the definition of a swing skill. If he gets a shot, he's a contributor. If not, he might not be in the league. It feels like he's being mocked a little bit lower too, which kind of goes on what you were saying earlier, where I think the Sixers were in a tough spot last year. 28 was, you know, you saw like Bones Highland and a few of the, the more interesting players had just gone. And look, there were the curb Jones was still available. There, there were some, there's always going to be some contributors down in that late first round, second round area. But it does seem like, it's a better year to be at 28. I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of interest in some of these guys that are being projected, you know, from anywhere from 23 down to like 35. Do you have any hope in that jumper? And bullshit. Yeah. I mean, he just, he didn't take a lot of them. So, uh, I would at the line either. I would probably bet against it, but you know, like, look, that, that's why we're talking about him as a late twenties pick. You know, if he, if, if that hits, I think he's like, you know, a starting level player in the NBA on the right team. So, uh, Eason, we brought him up before, um, big forward LSU dunks, everything very fun to watch, fun to watch. And I think what intrigues me the most to me, it seems like he's the most intriguing defensive player in this range where he's just got this crazy athleticism. He's able to switch. He's versatile. Like you said, he played some center for that team. Um, they had a pretty, uh, yeah, he uh, yeah, he's just a great athlete. And then that's what is is interesting about him. And I think to me, if he is down in that range, I, I don't think he's going to fall to that point yeah. is, is my only uh, concern. But to me, you know, he he checks a lot of the Grant Williams kind of Liddell kind of boxes where, you know, uh, is he going to be good enough to fit in the offensive system? That's something to see. You know, he was an improved three-point shooter this year. What did we shoot? Like 36% from mid-30s. Yep. 
Yep. Okay. So there's some hope there. Um, Pretty good foul shooter too. Pretty good foul shooter too. Yeah. But I, I just think in terms of, uh, you know, defensive versatility and being able to throw him in an NBA game right away, I think he's got some of the, you know, the highest ability to do that. And just, I don't think he would look out of place on the defensive end of the floor right away. In the NBA. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I like him quite a bit. Um, and like I said, defensively, I think he's got real versatility. Um, played a lot of center at LSU, but I think he can defend on the perimeter. Good, strong, athletic defender um, who gives effort and great in transition, like really, really great in transition. If you're going to project any kind of playmaking in the future, which I don't think that's going to be his role, but I think you can see a little bit of that show up in transition. Really fills the lane, hard, aggressive, consistent, dunks everything. And after watching a team that fucking slowest, least athletic yeah. team for it's a, so it's long. A good point. Maybe I'm overrating him because of that, but boy, it would be great to have a little bit on there. But you combine just attacking the rim uh, with the defense, with the transition game, with the fact that there's at least a pathway towards a jumper. And if he gets that jumper, then there's a pathway towards attacking closeouts and, and, and creating a little bit in the half court. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of interest in him. Not Maybe not, you know, I think he might have the, one of the most one of the highest defensive impacts of this group, but maybe a little less versatility. Like I don't think he's going to defend twos all that much, like the real ball handling perimeter guys, but I think he's going to have a real big defensive impact. Um, yeah, I have, I have quite a bit of, of interest in him. I, I, to your point, I don't think he drops. And if there's two people that I would even consider trading up for, not that the Sixers really can, because who the hell are you going to trade? And you don't really have draft picks to trade, but if like you could package like the 23 pick with like a second round pick, not that they have one this year. It would have to be a future second-round pick. But if you could package something and move up a couple of spots to make sure you got a guy, he would be one of the guys that I'd have interest in doing that. I, I would feel... I wouldn't... Let's not put, put this much pressure on him. I, I would feel like Maxie-ish pleasantly surprised if he yeah. dropped to where the yeah. Sixers... And and I think that's... You know, it depends who else is on the board. But I, to me, that would... If, if he's there, I, I think I'd have a hard time passing him up if, if he dropped that far. But like you said, I, I'm not sure he's going to fall that far. I think the one guy we didn't really talk out of this group, um, Malachi, Ohio State. Yeah, and, and honestly, I I saw him for the first time when Ohio State played Villanova oh, okay. in the uh, in the second round, and he was I mean he's just a super impressive kid that seemed like he just got better and better as the uh, as the season went on for them. Just like very smooth off the dribble score, and yep. against Villanova, who you know a lot of decent defenders on that team, like was not. They lost that game, but he was not out of his league by any means in that. So he is another guy that seems like he's being projected a little bit higher because, of, like I said, the the off the dribble skills. I mean, that's obviously something teams value more, especially teams that are worse. They're trying to get the the higher upside players, which is why EJ, his teammate, is is projected a little bit lower on that. But yeah, I, I like him a lot. Um, I, I definitely think. Like, what what do you think of him with Maxi as far as far as that moving forward? Yeah. Um. I mean, he's not, what is he? He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's right in that range. Not a super wingspan. Uh, not a super, like he doesn't have super physical tools. But I think he has enough where he can he can hang next to Maxi. I think the question is, does he have enough? I think he showed flashes of, of having a little bit of passing in him. But I think that's something that has to grow a little bit. Um, but I think where I'm looking at him, and you're comparing him to a lot of the other 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 wings in this range, he just has less less holes in his game. Um, like he shot well, really well, actually for off the catch. Uh, he shot well off the dribble, he mid range game already for his class. He's got good handles. He's a, not a poor athlete. I wouldn't say he's a great athlete. He's not as athletic as some of the other people in this range, but he's not a bad athlete. I think he does a lot of stuff that project pretty well. Uh, maybe not the highest upside, more upside than somebody like his teammate Liddell, but not super high upside, um, where he would be completely out of this range. But I think he, he projects fairly well in a lot of different areas. I think the one thing he has to get a little bit better at is terms of, of defensive consistency. But I think, and you know, he's got a little bit in that where he's, I think maybe a little too over-reliant on long twos, but I don't necessarily look at that as a, I think I used to dock people for that a little more in the past. I think now I look at it as that's something that makes it a little projectable as a shooter. And maybe really? it's a habit you have to get him a little bit out of, but I'd rather he yeah. have the skill and he can then extend that back out. I have, you I, need, I have you need long twos in the playoffs too. You just do. You need, you, you need, guys who get your um, you like need long twos more though from your stars. And I think he's probably projects a little more as a role yeah. player, but yeah, True. no, I have, I have a lot of, in terms of the 
wings, I think he's pretty pretty high on my list as well. Um, and I I don't think he has quite as much passing instincts or scoring potential as somebody like Jalen Williams. Um, but I think he has a more projectable game than a lot of the others around him. I would be very interested to see who the Sixers like. Let's say they they had their choice of Malachi Branham or Tari Eason. That to me would be fascinating because I think Malachi Branham he probably has a little bit more upside because of the the off the dribble playmaking. But Tari Eason sort of fits the the now and the the role player that they kind of need a little bit better. So I would just be interested to see what they thought on that. Yep. But I, again, I do think both of those guys are going to go before them. Yeah. We'll see. Nope. Like him. All right. So let's go to the, I guess this is the tall white guy segment of the podcast. (laughs) Jake Laravia and Nikola Jovic. You're going to have, you're going to have to give me, uh, Laravia. I I do. Uh, I I think (laughs) Jovic would be something if, uh, if they got him because he, uh, I mean, just with everything that the Sixers have done over the, uh, the past couple of years and the Embiid, Jokic rivalry to have have Jovic on the team as well. Um, I've seen yeah, I've seen I, some I, people mock him to Denver, by the way, and that would be great too because that would be confusing as hell. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's like it's not surprising that Jovic, like, what what is he good at? He's like good at like skilled big man things. Yeah, you know, he's yep. like a, he's got a good feel for the game. Um, played in the Adriatic league as well. Like, uh, like all of these guys as well. Uh, you know, 36% represented from by I'm Dario's right old, old agent. Like all of these guys are yep. Misco. Yeah. Uh, not an insane athlete by any means, but you know, I, I think that would be an interesting pick. I, I also don't think that guy's ready to contribute to winning no. right now. Which, I, I uh, actually like him quite a bit. So I, I guess we are looking to project him looking for a comp less like Jokic, more like Gallinari. It reminds me a little bit of a watered-down version of Gallinari and where he's real comfortable creating off the dribble, even a little bit off of pick-and-rolls. Um, good shooter, can pass over the double team. Not going to, you know, not a world-class athlete by any stretch, but has enough fluidity where he can take um, slower people off the dribble. My concern is I just don't know. And I, I think he's improved as an off-ball player a little bit, especially playing up there in the bigger league there this year. My concern with him is I just don't know where you put him defensively. Like he will get absolutely bullied inside, like absolutely. And I think somebody like that until they um, sort of develop a little more, you'd want to stick him at the five. I don't think you can get away sticking him at the five in part because he's going to get bullied uh, both in the post at the rim and on the glass, but also because he's not a very good two footed leaper. And if you're talking about playing somebody to defend the rim and playing a drop and you can't explode off of two feet, like you're just going to get destroyed. So I don't know where he defends in the first year or two or three in his career. And I do think the offense, while skilled, is going to take a little bit of time to translate against NBA-level competition. So I think for the Sixers, I'm not sure he makes a lot of sense, even though he's a player that in this range, I think probably has quite a bit of upside. And I have quite a bit of interest in if we're talking about not the Sixers. (laughs) Uh, I, I like him as a player. I'm just not sure he fits what they need. And it seems like, and again, I, I have not watched really any LaRavia at all, just because he's been he's been projected a lot lower. But it seems like he fits that archetype more as kind of like an off-ball type of player, yeah. a big forward who, um, you know, I, you look at his numbers, very productive player at, at very Wake Forest. Very efficient, yep. Yeah. And, no, he's, just, a, he's he, just a, a well-rounded player. Pick and pop, cutting, does a little bit of everything. He's just a, a real smart um, he's competent in a lot of areas is, I guess, the way that I would uh, phrase it. Look, and that's and that is the Grant Williams archetype. It's it's are you decent at everything and not great? If that is the case and you're not great at one thing, those players can help on the right teams yeah. in the playoffs if they if you can't pick on. You, so. And his his question is like he's only an OK athlete. He doesn't have a ton of length. Like he's not going to be a good defender. Like, I don't think he's going to be a plus defender. But I think he's smart enough and committed enough, and he's got a decent enough frame uh, where he could be a competent defender earlier on in his career than somebody um, like Jovic. Uh, like I, he's not the archetype that the Sixers necessarily need. Um, I think they would want a little more versatility in a player in this range. But I think he has a chance to be an NBA contributor, which, quite frankly, the Sixers need more of. Um, yeah, he's a good good prospect. Again, I'm not sure necessarily. I think if I'm gunning for something here, it's a little more defensive versatility than what he's going to offer, though. That's my one complaint. Okay. So, 
you, you mentioned NBA contributor. I guess we're, this is somewhat bearing the lead here, but there have been reports, which I think were very logical considering where the Sixers are over the past couple of weeks that the Sixers are looking to trade this pick, or at least they are exploring the option to trade this pick. And I think you're hearing Danny Green's name attached a lot to this pick. You're hearing Matisse Thibel. I believe Fisher had that. And maybe KOC had that as well. Uh, I'm trying to give credit where it's due. Should the Sixers be looking to trade this pick? Because I think we've went through, you know, probably about 10 or 12 names at this point. There's definitely an NBA contributor too in that in that list. And the Sixers have been pretty good at finding value at this spot of the draft. Yeah. But, you know, we just saw, what, the 26 pick get moved for Christian Wood yep. last week. Uh, I think the Sixers would need probably a different type of player, but you can certainly sure. get some value. I think Christian Wood is still really talented. We're, we're about to see if he's any good. He hasn't played on good teams his whole career, basically. Um, so should they be looking to trade this pick? The devil there really comes down to the details. If they get a good return and a player who can realistically stay on the floor in the playoffs, I will not kill them for trading this pick. There aren't enough players in this range I have think have star level upside and that I have confidence in reaching any kind of even starter upside where I would kill them if they traded this pick. And again, should they trade it? That really comes down to what's being offered, but I would not rule it out for sure. Yeah. Sure. And I mean, it's just the, this is the part where, and it depends who falls too. Like if, if, uh, Eason or even Williams or Bronham fall, like then maybe my calculus changes. Um, but it depends who's available. It depends what's offered in the trade. It, a lot of it depends, but I would not rule it out. No way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you can find a player that fits, though, we're talking about maybe with all of these guys. We're talking about even with Tari Eason, who I think would fit really well with this group. We're talking about, all right, well, maybe he'll fit in. Maybe maybe his shooting will will be good enough right off the bat, and, and that'll work. And I, I just think like if you can find a player who can – comfortably fit into your top six or seven, I, I think the Sixers would have to look, think really hard about trading that player. And I also think trading Matisse Dybul and making that the other sweetener is not something I would be hesitant to do at all as well, because I, I understand that, that there could be some pushback where they would say, Hey, look, Matisse Dybul is a good player for us in the regular season. And I agree with that. He's helpful in some games. Yep, He is he can even be somewhat of an innings eater in terms of like, look, he can, you can win games and work around his skill set. I don't know how they can view him right now as anything but an unknown playoff contributor. Yeah. You are 12 months away from having to give him a contract that I'm probably uncomfortable with for a guy that I'm not confident can play alongside Joel and be in the playoffs. Yeah, would I, tra- would I trade him for the right package? Yeah. And I'm not talking about like a crazy return either. Yep. So, you know, that's where we are. And, and look, you're absolutely right. The devil is in the details. And the, the fact that the Sixers are shopping that pick does not mean that they are gung-ho on, on getting rid of it. It doesn't mean they're going to settle for some terrible return for any means. But I, I certainly think that's where you kind of got to start and see, like, look, can we get one contributing player for this pick and and Danny's contract? Or maybe two if you add in Thibel. I don't, I don't even know. Um that's easier said than done. It's it's always like, can you get the, you know, the rotation level player? Well, it depends on who that is, yep. but, uh, but yeah, I, as much as, as much fun as the draft is, as much fun as it would be to see the Sixers bring in one of these guys, really dig deep on all their film, watch them in summer league, see them at training camp, all that good stuff. If you can get a guy that can help them now, this team is in win now mode and they have to operate a little bit differently. Yep. I would say a lot, a lot differently than, the team's picking at the top of the draft would. All right. So give me uh give me give me the three names that you would really target if you're the Sixers. Let's wrap this up. I think you talked me into Williams. I mean, the other two would be Eason and Liddell for sure. Okay. Those would be the two. I, I am very set on the big wing, the three, four type defenders who um who have shown kind of role player capabilities in college. But I, the Jalen Williams, the passing is is very intriguing to me. Yeah, no, the combination of size and passing with Williams does intrigue me, especially if that shot does translate. Uh, if, if I'm talking about like my three projectable role players, I, I think you, uh, Liddell, Eason, um, I'll throw Malachi Branham in there too. Th- those are the three 
role players that I would uh, I would target. Um, the one sort of like all around player with upside uh, I would have interest in, in, in Williams. Again, I think there are some legitimate athletic concerns, specifically in terms of burst, but I think the overall talent uh, and feel for the game and diversity is worth taking a chance on in the 20s because he could end up overshooting his draft profile. So those are those are kind of like the four guys that I have interest in, uh, which wouldn't say like if they draft McGowan's, would I talk myself into it? Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> but those are the three guys. And even Jovich, I would talk myself into just you're talking about a different timeline. It would be nice. I, the, the beauty of Eason, who I think would be number one for me, honestly, like I think that's the guy who I'm the most interested in. The, the athleticism upgrade on this for this oh team would just be, it would be a breath of fresh air. And I know he's got um, that athleticism sometimes gets him in trouble and he makes mistakes as a passer. Sure. I just want to see a guy run fast and jump high again in, <laughs> yeah. in the middle of this. And uh, try hard. Team. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. 100%. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we will have another podcast here later in the week after the draft happens. Uh, draft, when they course, do or don't pick a player. Correct. Correct. We will either have a draft pick and a young player to talk about or a trade. Or a uh, trade. draft is, of course, on Thursday night. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.